0: You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts. So this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 113, and we are talking about the 2009 Wonderful World. It is directed and written by Joshua Golden. This was his directorial debut. It stars Matthew Broderick, Sana Lathan, Michael Kenneth Williams, Philip Baker Hall, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, Jodell Furland, and Allie Walker. The DP was Daniel Schulman. It was filmed in Shreveport, Louisiana. The synopsis for this film, Ben Singer has a cynical worldview darkened by his roommate, Eboo's sudden medical situation. Though the arrival of Eboo's sister, Kadi might remedy both men's ills. The tagline for this film is, if the glass is half empty, at least you can't drown. <laughs> okay, actually, as a tagline, that really
0: captures the character that Broderick plays.
1: Yes, it does. I liked it. And the other tagline is, happiness is a state of mind. No. I like the first one.
0: Yeah. The first one, it really catches the spirit of the film and catches your ear. Mm -hmm. The second one is just like a poster with a kitten on it. Who cares? (laughs) Right.
1: So this film uh, only had a 23 day production schedule. This film is very indie. I mean, it falls in, it's a it's labeled. I'm going to jump ahead. It's labeled as a comedy drama romance. So if we call it a rom-com and with the budget, you don't, okay. Uh, we we didn't argue about this but we <laughs> we discussed this after we watched it i feel that he is different because of Cotty's love but you said no
0: yeah i don't feel like she his love for her transformed him
1: so but something transformed him so was it almost losing his friend ibu i'm not even sure he's really that much
0: different the only thing that's different is he plays music again in front of children
1: <laughs> i did my due diligence and Both Matthew and the director said this is a film about hope, and you took umbrage with that. Yeah, that's
0: a a film about hope, like Schindler's List is a film about singing and dancing. (laughs) No, no, There's no hope in here. I'm sorry, I don't know what they were saying. Okay,
1: kick us off with your pickup line. Let's see if that tracks.
0: Okay, the pickup line is Latte and Mocha. And I had to go back twice and still turn on the subtitles to understand the dialogue being said, but... One of Broderick's coworkers is bringing coffees to the small table where all the proofreaders sit and proofread.
1: Is that a common like was that like a pub, a publishing company?
0: Uh it's supposed to be a law firm, I think, because later on when Joe loses his job, the the butthole that fires him says like you were a few hours late on something on a Friday and we lost a 10 million dollar account so you're fired and just immediately that bumped me because if there's 10 million dollars on the line there is no way that they're it, that they're going to let one proofreader be the the thing between them and success that mm-hmm. doesn't i mean they would be morons if that was the case they wouldn't have still been in business if they were ba- that bad at 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 scheduling their work it was I mean, it was important to, for him to be fired, but I just thought the justification didn't land for me. Mm-hmm.
1: The film opens up. We see he doesn't really like his job. He picks up his kid. It's it's unclear, but it feels like she's not super excited to go with her dad. And then when we meet his ex-wife, she's like, what did you do? Like, well, he's just a giant bummer. The viewers aren't super
0: excited to go with this, her dad. So, I mean, I, we, we kind of sympathize with the girl.
1: Um. He goes to a stand-up show with a coworker but doesn't really laugh, doesn't really enjoy it. Right. He almost is like
0: there's a line where Broderick's character, which I forget his name, but he says I don't know His coworker's name? No, what what's Matthew Broderick's character's name? Ben. Ben. Ben says, "I don't know what I'm doing here. I hate stand-up comedy." <laughs> right. Which is like, <laughs> like, oh, okay. That actually accurately describes that character. He hates laughing.
1: And so I couldn't tell, was he just like a complete pessimist grump or was he a little bit on the spectrum? Because his daughter takes him to the hospital to see Eboo, who she obviously knows because that's his roommate. And she says something about, is he dreaming? And he says, he, he's not dreaming. He's a meat puppet. Yes. Which um, is really crass about your friend who is in the hospital, like in a coma. That's a good
0: good thing, I, I, a, a good point. I d- hadn't really thought if he was on the spectrum if that explains some of his, what would what you call it? Antipathy? Misandry? Misanthropy? Misanthropy? However you say that, he hates humanity. Yeah, I was right? going to
1: say, it doesn't feel like Sheldon Cooper where he just kind of... Right, right.
0: where he's just I- ignorant of, of social cues.
1: Right. This is he, he very
0: much has a negative thing. And as we find out later... He's upset because his Passion Project album was not advertised by his label. Right. So he somehow holds that against the world?
1: Yeah, he was kind of like, I I took it that he was like a Rafi.
0: Yes. that Certainly the CD cover and the music he plays at the end, it, it makes us sing a little bit like that. Although the song he plays is, I think, a little more sophisticated than the stuff that we know from Rafi. Mm-hmm. But... I could see how an artist would maybe be upset that the label didn't support him, but I think he would then get disillusioned with the record label and not with everything in life. Right,
1: right. Yeah, he just has a tough time because then he gets fired and uh, Ivo's sister comes. And so it's kind of like a stranger in his apartment and he, st- he stays up late. And then he ends up being like a pizza delivery guy. And he realizes he goes to pick up his daughter one time and he realized and the mom says she's at a friend's house. She did a, a sleepover and then he sees her curtain move in her bedroom. So he's like, oh, shoot. Like he knows that basically right. the daughter doesn't want to see him.
0: And she's obviously never read the Diary of Anne Prank because she moves the curtains. Yeah, everyone knows you don't move the curtains when they're out front. <laughs> Got to keep a little profile. Yeah. So. But that, that was the thing to me is I, I, he seemed to be this entirely pessimistic person, right? But then his roommate snores horribly, mm-hmm. which is why he's up late, and he never seems to have any problem with his roommate. So that kind of didn't make sense to me. He's going off about all the problems in the world. But he doesn't grump at his roommate. That was a little odd.
1: I didn't get the sense that he was up late because of the roommate. I thought he was like almost just like an insomniac. He just couldn't uh, sleep. Yeah. But then what do you what do you make of the sister says she has to leave because she can't afford to stay. And so he leaves and he comes back and he hands her a big fat envelope of money. And he said, Ibu wanted me to give you this to you. It's from his safe deposit box he would want you to have it. And then later we see that he based, and it was like $2,000. It was a lot of money. We later see a receipt that he went, that's his money that he gave her to stay.
0: Yeah. I don't think that character had $2,000 in a, in a bank account.
1: <laughs> well, it could have been in like a savings account from when he, like maybe his first, cause he was known at some point, like his first record or r- something r- right. because people knew him.
0: Right. I guess if any of our listeners are children's music-producing musicians, they should call in and tell us how much coin they're rolling in. But I think Rafi's um, doing pretty good. Rafi is, but I don't know if his contemporaries are. I actually made a note of... A, I, I was a little concerned about the ethics of him having some boom-boom sexy time with this woman who is financially dependent on him while his roommate, her brother, is in the hospital in a coma. That made me feel a little bit uncomfortable that she basically was dependent on him for like food, shelter, and clothing. Uh, just I, I, I was a little uncomfortable with that, that plot line.
1: That's interesting because I, I felt like I was picking up on they were getting feelings for one another because like even I wrote in my notes about when he brought her the money, it was obviously he was having feelings for and he wanted her to stay. And I don't think he paid her to have sex with him. I think they were two people who were falling for one another.
0: I think that's maybe where I didn't track that. I think Broderick did such a good job of making this guy seem miserable that it was hard for me to think that she would want to spend time with this. No, I didn't want to spend time with this guy. He was just so pessimistic and negative and Just miserable to be around. And I say this is a cynic,
1: right? I liked Cotty too. She, um, Mm -hmm. at one point she said, you don't believe in magic, but magic is everywhere. We, she said, we both love him, which I think she meant Ibu. And, and she was just kind of, I felt like she was kind of encouraging him to tap into like the person that would write children's songs right you cannot be the person who he is who we meet at the beginning and write a happy children's song about a baby beluga so i i like this twist because there have been
0: several films that have talked about a clown being oh yeah miserable that's, that's and, and sounds... an alcoholic and whatever but this is the first time i've seen somebody take that twist on a children's because what could be happier than a guy who plays funny songs for kids, right? Well, in this case, that guy is not funny at all. Not happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an interesting premise, I have to say. And I liked how they used the chess in the kitchen as yes. a way to get the two characters in the two shot, but give them an excuse to basically give exposition or talk about other things. Mm -hmm. Like it was believable. They could talk about anything and you would believe it as a viewer because they're playing chess. They're just kind of making talk, talk, you know, while they're playing.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I felt too, like you didn't see the daughter come around, but like when they ran out of gas and she was like, it's okay, dad, it's an adventure. I felt like she was starting to turn A little bit like, yeah, I think
0: the way that character is written and the way that actress played it, she was kind of saw
1: her dad in a different light. And I think too, he and I felt this with my dad. He they don't know what to do with a small child, I think, especially a girl. And so it was like, you want to go to a hockey game? And then there was something else they would go do. It was like the two things they would go do.
0: She liked hockey. And so he said something about Skating, oh, you and, want to go ice skating, That's and what she's it was. like, Well, I like hockey, I don't play hockey, right? But then they went to this music store, right? And so, I was curious if any of your deep dives on interviews with the filmmakers, those guys in the music store, I felt like were actual musicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I
1: think I, yeah, I was listening, I found this five part interview, but unfortunately, it was like somebody filming it with their cell phone in the you uh, know. 28th row. So the sound was horrible. So I only listened to some, but they, somebody did call out that they recognized a a musician and I didn't recognize that it wasn't (laughs)
0: Rafi. And the way they, the way they shot it, Broderick was playing. Now that may not have been the sound from his guitar, but he actually was playing. So credit to Broderick. I believe, yeah, he learned. And and, and I want to say that I, I think the problem wasn't with his performance, I think he landed the character perfectly. It's just the character to me you didn't like was him. unlikable. Like, I right. it, it, it just, you know, I'm not rooting for him. And I think you can have a a, a character who is an anti-hero and it works. It's just really hard. And I, I, I don't think this film landed for me, but it sounds like it landed a bit more for you.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, he was just, he was a grumpy guy. And then because life had kind of... I mean, obviously he had gotten a divorce, so that affected him and, and then hit the lack of his, you know, the thing that brought him joy, that playing music that didn't bring him success. And so I think he kind of felt like life, you know, dealt him a hand and he just had given up kind of. Yeah. There's and
0: then, a, oh, go ahead. There's a line of dialogue that summarizes that very well. He says, it's a shame to be so great at something no one cares about. mm mm-hmm. And I think I didn't buy that premise, mm-hmm. right? I felt like even if that album didn't sell well, he still, if he played music somewhere else, people people in the music store loved his music. So that di- it didn't land for me. It didn't make any sense why the character was that upset at the entire world.
1: Right. But is there a scenario where some artists can be content with just doing, you know, being in their art or, or, um, showcasing their art. And some artists need the feedback. They need the accolades. They need the success. They need the.
0: Well, it could be, but that's what I was saying is if if he went down to the middle school and played baby beluga, like the entire auditorium would cheer. If He went to the music store and and, and they were like, Oh wow, that's great. You've got the Brazilian let's let's jam. So uh, like, To me, there was something missing that turned him into that character. For me, that Passion Project album not being promoted and and selling a billion copies, it didn't track to me that he would become a person this negative, that he would like lose everything, including his wife and his daughter.
1: Right. Then there was a scene that confused both of us. (laughs) It felt like somebody cut out a scene...
0: Right. There is maybe something missing.
1: It just, it can't, it was a left turn that, that (laughs) nobody saw coming. In fact, I started to worry, like, was I really, you know, kind of looking up things so much that I missed a huge piece of story. And you were like, nope, nope. (laughs) Basically uh, he goes to Cotty and accuses her of, of falling for him and to try to trap him into getting a green card so she could stay in the states cuz she was from Senegal like her brother and it it was it not only it wasn't just like hey are you sleeping with me so you can he, it was anger it was rage and right. maybe it's fueled by everything else that didn't work in his life but he was so sweet with her and then the, he cared for her and brought a, it just it it was out of the blue it's
0: the equivalent of Tom Hanks getting to the top of the Empire State Building and punching Meg Ryan in the face.
1: It kind of was. And so, and like you said, early on when Cotty first comes, she shares a photo or photos of her and Ibu, And she talks about how close they are and how he would always protect her. So we were just like, oh. She even says he would take
0: a big stick to people who are mean to her.
1: Right. So we're like, oh. Ebu sees him. So the first time he walks in the hospital, we're w- I'm waiting for like a huge fight. Like right. Ibu to just tear into him. Right. And Ibu's just like, you have not been nice. And I was just like, oh my God, that's all you're going to say?
0: I didn't even get a you've not been nice. It was like nothing had happened. It, it, yeah, it,
1: that really it he said didn't something, track for me. He said something like, Kadi is very angry at you. Or he said something like really chill. And it was just like, What? so is that
0: supposed to show us that Ben is this person who sabotages himself throughout his entire life, which is a valid narrative choice to make. It's just that that character I don't respond to at all. I just don't have any interest in. So this is one of those cases where I feel like the filmmakers did a fine job with their budget and their constraints and everything. I, I just, I didn't care for the story.
1: Yeah. It's, it, I, Like like you said, I think I liked it a little bit better than you, but that last part. And so then Ibu dies, and he accompanies the body back to Senegal, and then he takes his daughter to a hockey game, and they're laughing, and then he asks her about his school, and she says people are making fun of her, and so I guess that's supposed to show us that she's starting to open up to him, and then, like you said, the last scene, he's singing in front of the children again, so... Maybe the end felt a bit rushed, kind of like, oh, look, everybody ends happily ever after.
0: Yeah, there is um, just one little continuity thing that really took me out of the film. And our friend Dustin will maybe enjoy this as well. But the clock in Ibu's hospital room. (laughs) um, You and your clocks. Yeah, the the, the hour hand was halfway between 10 and 11, Mm -hmm. which would be 30 minutes. But the minute hand was right on the 12th. (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, the,
0: the, how do you even make a clock like that? Um, that was,
1: I think that's uh, why ridiculous. you miss some of the nuances of this film to enjoy it more is because you're focusing too much on the clocks.
0: I can't help, but not notice that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, perhaps I, there was an important nuance I missed that would have made this entire thing. But, uh, you know, again, I, I, I don't know how to balance this because I didn't like that character at all, but, This just kind of reminds me of First Cow. If the filmmaker made the film they wanted to make, Mm -hmm. I I totally respect them for doing it. I don't think there was anything technically wrong, right? It just wasn't a story that I responded to that I would want to to watch again, right? Mm -hmm. It's just not kind of not my bag. That character wasn't redeemable to me, right? And, And maybe the the end scenes, like you're talking about, showing him, you know, talking to the kids or singing, I'm sorry, for the kids, is supposed to be that redemption. Maybe that's where the filmmaker said that there was hope. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, again, I didn't get it, but... Uh. I Yeah, no, that definitely landed more for me because I felt like he was starting to connect with his daughter. Was there even a scene with the ex-wife where she was maybe not as annoyed with him? But anyway, and then him playing in front of the children. I felt like that was his turn. And so we didn't get to see... like. You know, it was the beginning of the happy ending, maybe, and so that's. Yeah,
0: again, uh, maybe that was the intent, and it just—it was hard for me. I did to lie get in. the taste of Ben out of my mouth. <laughs> Jeez.
1: So, um a couple things under sound. I really enjoyed listening to the guitar because sometimes, even when he wasn't playing, it yeah. was just like kind of the score that was under the yeah, film. It was neat
0: that they used that song throughout the rest of the film.
1: Mm-hmm. And then I really liked the subtlety. Because early in the film, I think when they were playing chess, so it gave an opportunity for it to be, quote unquote, quiet. You could hear a very distant dog barking and then Ibu references it later. Mm -hmm. And he says there's something very familiar about it, kind of like a dog barking. And I was just like, oh, wow, I didn't even see that coming that they because I noticed it early, but it was just like, okay, that's just good soundscapes. Right. And Mm -hmm. if you're living in an apartment, there is going to be a distant dog barking and a distant siren and a, you know, a distant car or horn. Right. And, but then when he brought it back and spoke of it, I was just like, oh, that, I mean, that's some good filmmaking right there.
0: And also I credit to the cinematographer because there's a shot outside the Capital one building Mm -hmm. and he cleverly positioned a lamp post so it obscured the middle part of the Capital One logo so they didn't have to get clerks. That was, I was like, yeah, way to go, independent filmmakers.
1: Was there head trauma in this film?
0: None that I made note of, but it isn't, it, to me, it's implied when Eboo has a diabetic comb and he falls out of his bed. Yeah. He probably hit his head on the way down.
1: Very sad. Yeah. Um, I know there was a smoochie. Smoochie, smoochie, smoochie. Or two. Yes, there was
0: a smoochie during Boom Boom Sexy Time between Ben and Cody. And
1: then a driving review.
0: Um there's not a whole lot the w- the beginning of the movie establishes a conflict with a person trying to back out of their parking space and Ben's car's in the way, but that person is not doing a very good job of backing out of their parking right. space. And then I did notice at one point they were obviously on a process trailer because the view out the rear window when Ben drives Cotty does not match his steering wheel inputs and it's kind of like it reminded me of the police squad gag um with Le- Leslie Nielsen where the, there was uh, it wasn't that big but there was a difference between him turning and and the the view turning but that was uh, that was no big deal i don't think only people who notice clock hands would notice that one right <laughs>
1: Um, Shall we go to the numbers? Let's go to the numbers. So like I said, filming took place over 21 days, days in Shreveport, Louisiana with a $3 million budget financed by the producer Miranda Bailey through Ambush Entertainment. It made its premiere on April 27th, 2009 at the Tribeca Film Festival. That's when it got picked up by Magnolia Pictures for distribution and was given a limited release in January of 2010. It garnered a mixed reception from critics over the script's unoriginality and numerous indie film cliches, yeah. but were universally positive towards Broderick's performance. I didn't understand that when I read it about the indie film cliches.
0: Yeah, I'm not real sure either, unless they felt like Garden State, that Cotty was the manic pixie dream girl. But I, I didn't see I that didn't, at all. No, no. No. Um, I did think, um, credit to her and the actress who played his daughter for mm-hmm. the dance number. That was fun. Mm-hmm. They really captured like some fun there.
1: Yeah. That's why I, I loved Cotty's character. Cause to me, she kind of brought a little bit of fun, a little bit of whimsy, some heart, right. you know, kind of everybody was just kind of dull and broken. And, and she brought like this, this sunshine, you right. know, kind yeah. of, huh. Um, okay, like I said, this was a three million dollar budget. The IMDb score is six point one out of ten, so on the lowish side. Critics, like like the th- the stands I read said, didn't really like it as much. Forty two percent, so rotten. And uh, audiences definitely agreed at thirty three percent. It's just under. It's right about an hour and a half. It's rated R. Like I said, it's a comedy, drama, romance, and. It only made $9,000 because it only opened in four theaters. So I was curious about that being in 2009. It's not like it was. They couldn't go to streaming yet. Right. And so I was like, four theaters. And I do know that in order to be considered for the Oscars, you have to show, you have to distribute, you have to exhibit in at least like four or five uh, certain theaters in LA in order to be uh, considered for an Oscar. So I wonder. If they just couldn't, although with Magnolia Pictures, I wonder if it aired on, like, HBO or something or back then? IFC, maybe. Yeah. yeah. So I couldn't find the story behind that, why it was only in four theaters, but that makes sense. Because when I saw the trailer, oh, that was my other little kind of bugaboo that I did like this movie, but the trailer definitely sells it of not so much like a rom-com, but a little happier right. than it was. So... You know, if, if you have a serious drama, go ahead and make your trailer. <laughs> you right. To,
0: it's an advertisement, so it should match kind of what the, the person's going to see. Yeah. And again, maybe because I, I thought Broderick was friends with the writer-director, so this could have just been a project that they they're like, was. this was, um, you know, we or wanted it's. to do this thing. And... They, they didn't intend for it to make a ton of money and have a wide distribution. I don't know. Right. Um, but I want to say, just because I didn't care for the story, I, I think those ratings are a little low. I mean, I don't think it was a bad film. I think, again, everybody kind of, I think technically it was fine. Yeah. And, and I do think Broderick really did well in being a miserable sad sack. He did a fantastic <laughs> job of capturing that. I don't think he's like that as a person. So great acting, Matthew.
1: All right, everybody, we are midway through April, so be checking our social media for those clues to guess the theme so that you can win some prizes or some shout outs. And if anybody wants a smoochy 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 sticker, shoot me a an email or you can text me your address and I will send that to you free of charge because I just am so appreciative of all of our listeners. Check the show notes for all that information and never forget
0: Dodgers never stop and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christian Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this
1: podcast and what we do, go to DodgeMediaProductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges
0: never stop, and neither do the movies.